God, if you're visiting, special welcome to you. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, we're going to have a great time today. I just want to let you know that uh, two exciting events happened uh, yesterday. Uh, right here in this same auditorium, just 12 hours ago, we had about 800 singles that came together for Kaleidoscope 2. And uh, what it was was singles from all over L.A. County, uh, Orange County, all the different counties, but all over the Los Angeles metropolitan area came together to showcase their talents for God. And it wasn't a talent show about them, it was about how their talents brought glory to God. And it was the energy in the room before, during, and after was outstanding. And it was so cool to see singles with all these different gifts, spoken word, dance, music, uh, instruments, acting. Uh, I didn't get my application in soon enough for the interpretive dance, so I'm saving it up for next year. No, I'm, you're like, right. But it was so awesome. We did it a year ago. This year was even better. And I just want to get a chance, all those that uh, participated in that, could you stand up so we can just honor you? All, all these brothers and sisters. But it was so, I was so proud of the singles ministry. We've come such a long way. And we have so much to be proud about in God's name, for God's glory. And it was such a special night. Then the teen ministry last night. Uh, the teen ministry, 300 teenagers got together and uh, had a teen prom at church. And um, they met downtown at the L.A. Live and had a great time and had their after party. But it was so cool because it wasn't based on sin. How low can you go? You know what I'm talking about? Dress, clothing. Uh, it wasn't based on sin. It wasn't based on getting high beforehand so you can feel more secure in yourself when you come to the prom wasn't based on let's go do something afterwards that I don't remember and I regret and I feel lower and less of a person. But it was just based on edification, building each other up, having a great time, doing it in a clean form, doing it with God right there. And it was just so awesome. I'm so thankful. I don't know if you remember what you did at prom. Some of you are bitter. I didn't get to go. Well, overcome. But I remember I did a lot of sin back then that I'm ashamed of. And I'm so thankful we have an alternative that's wholesome and true. Title of the lesson today is, and we'll give a, we'll give a little uh, shout out for the youth ministry. <laughs> Teens, it's so worth it. Keep going. The title of the lesson today is The Request of a Mom. The Request of a Mom. And I'm going to introduce you to my mom. She's not here today, but she is uh, on the screen. And uh, this is my mom right there. My mom will be 78 years old here in July. I want to say I'm a mama's boy, but that's not really complimentary to a man. Uh, but my mom is one of my heroes. She is a very special lady. Handful you've gotten to meet her. She's one of a kind. Uh, she could live off berries and roots or whatever, or a leftover crust of bread. Just That's just how she is. She's frugal at another level. 
And uh, my mom uh, lost her father as a young girl. He was taken away by the Nazis when she was about five years old. She never saw him again. Uh, she was raised by a single mom with three kids and uh, hidden in a convent during the war. Uh, the night before she was to be deported to Auschwitz, they put her, she, her, my grandmother uh, gave her a fake passport and had all the kids on the floor and drove across Europe, hired a fake husband, said they were Europeans on vacation and kept lying throughout the war. And my mom got hidden in a convent with nuns, had a different name. And uh, she said the saddest day of her life was when she got separated from her mom as she was taken out of the camp she was in. And she's just a tough woman. She became a disciple almost 24 years ago. And she loves the kingdom. She loves every preacher she's had. How about that? And she thinks everyone is a deer. Loves them. And uh, she's one of my biggest fans, heroes. She's made such an impact on me. Um, you know, I think about my mom. Uh, she's been a pillar in my life. Uh, she's been an anchor in my life. She's been an incredible cheerleader and encourager in my life. And even at time when I was uh, headlong in sin as a freshman in college, my mom was sending me covert notes. At the end, she'd write, Shalom. The Lord is watching. You know, all these things where I'm like, I mean, I was like, I wasn't pursuing God. I was pursuing sin. And she just like put it in there. Mm. And I remember going, oh, mom, why do you got to do that in the cards? I didn't need that. And now I feel bad. But I'm so thankful that she was right there cheering me along even when I was incredibly rebellious to God. And I helped my mom become a disciple. I've saved all of her emails she's given me. I've saved her cards. I say, why would you do that? Because it means so much to me. And when she's gone, I want to read them. You know, I think about when I was 22 years old, my mom and I were on a prayer walk. Together, we were both young disciples. And I leaned over and I said, Mom... I'll never forget this. I'm so thankful you're a disciple. I said, there's so many uh, college students, because I was a college student at the time, there's so many college students that wish their parent was a disciple. And she leaned over to me. She's just a humble, selfless person, modest. She says, Marco, I'm not... Th-. She says, you don't have to be thankful for me. I'm thankful for you. She said, I believe God had me give birth to you to save me. Now, as a 22-year-old, what do you say to that other than... You know, you just talk about humbling versus, yeah, mom, I was thinking the same thing. I was just waiting for it to align for you. I mean, I didn't say that. I, I was just humble at her humility and love. Um, you know, and my mom had uh, uh, nine children. The doctor said no more after that. She wanted 12. Could you imagine 12 of me? Okay, let's, let's keep going right here. But she's a very special lady. Uh, The next one is my other hero, and uh, this is my wife, Michelle. That's it. Don't you love digital cameras, too? That was us just doing one of these. Uh, This is Michelle and I celebrating our 20th anniversary, and that's day one. We went back to the place where we had our honeymoon 20 years ago. I rented a wreck. See how they're they're, uh, holding the the top of the van? It's all all the fabrics pinned up with all these thumbtacks. Just trying to save some cash right there. And uh, Michelle got in it. She's like, the ceiling is coming down. I'm like, honey, it's tacked up. It's fine. It's great. Uh, but we had the best time. And we're more in love today than in 1992 when I had the mullet. And uh, I'm just so thankful for Michelle. One of the main things that attracted me to her, to her 
originally, out of many things, was I thought, this woman's going to make an amazing mom. And she's far exceeded that expectation. Uh, Michelle is my best friend. Uh, we have a very different sense of humor, yet similar. We uh, have had a blast together. We've had an adventure. Being married to me is a sub-ministry. Some of you are smirking, going, uh-huh. When Michelle first dated me, some of the sisters were like, what's it like? <laughs> Not as a compliment, but anyway. <laughs> well, you guys are really fun today, I'll tell you. <laughs> Laughing at my expense, but I, I, I brought it. But I'm so thankful for Michelle, and I'm so thankful for the last 20 years, uh, only in the kingdom. Uh, of the seven kids that are left, my mom lost two kids, um, you know, almost all of them are divorced, except my brother and I who are disciples. And I give glory to God. I'm, I'm humbled by that because who am I? I mean, I would have went the same path. So many people want to be married, want to stay married. They just, they don't have the tools. They don't have God's spirit. They don't know how to overcome. And so they do the best they can. And then it just gets to a point where they're like, I'm out. I'm done. I can't handle this. And I just thank God for all the moms in the church that have helped me and my character, spiritually, life, then, past, present, now, future, uh, that have helped me be married and stay married and become a better husband. Uh, what a great thing we have in the kingdom with the family that we have. You know, the mother has so much influence in life. In every war, whether it was a civil war or the ones in Iraq and Afghanistan, these tough soldiers who were on their last breath or severely wounded, maybe not on the last breath, these tough soldiers cry out for guess who? Their mom. You say, why is that? They're not mama's boys. They're not wimps. It's because there was something in there. There's a love. There's a nurturing. There's a connection. There's a, a sense of, man, that's mom. That makes them, as they realize, I'm in my most vulnerable moment ever. That here they are thousands of miles on some battlefield somewhere crying out, for their mom. You know, I want to build up the moms in this church. I'm going to highlight a few moms, but at the risk of the rest of the moms saying, hey, what about me? You're a great mom too. Okay, so if I told everybody, then there's no Mother's Day lunch. Right? And then you'll never come back. But we have so many great moms in this church. I want to lift up the single moms. You know, every so often, for those of us that have two in the home, one of us travels or one of us is gone and we're playing, you know, the one-on-one defense or three-on-one with the kids. And it's challenging for like three days. But I really appreciate the single parents. I appreciate the fact that you're not just getting them through life. That alone is hard enough. But that you're trying with all your heart to do the right thing and to put God first in spite of the extra pressure challenge, and difficulty that you feel. I appreciate all the older moms in the church that don't have kids in the home but are still mothering away. Uh, Thank you for so many of you that have been a great mom to me. You say, you're too old to have a mom. You never get too old to get a little motherly love. Who doesn't like a casserole? or a brownie, or a hug, or a a look in, bro. Sorry, yeah, you're right. 
Who doesn't need that? I'm thankful for the at-home moms. And I know there's not a lot of them in today's demands of, of economy, but I can tell you sometimes uh, those that work part-time or don't, don't work except out of their home, they cannot feel as valued. But Salary.com did an did a analysis, and they figured, seriously, that if you're an at-home mom, full-time, you earn about $137,000 a year. So don't look at your husband and go, so honey, how much do you make? One thirty-seven. <laughs> That's not my point. My point is, they calculated all you do as far as child rearing and cleaning and teaching and tutoring and driving and this. And if you hire someone to do all those things, 137. So if you're part-time, you cut it in half. If you're quarter, you can just figure it out. So there's a lot of value right there, moms. Feel pretty good about yourself. John Quincy Adams said about his mom, all that I am, my mother made me. Abraham Lincoln said, all that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. Napoleon was a sage when he said, let France have good mothers and she will have good sons. And finally, President Garfield, his first act after being inaugurated president was he stooped down and he kissed his aged aged mother. Why? Because we want so much the approval of our mom. Look at this quote here from, from uh, Thomas Edison. You may not be able to see it from the back, but I'll just read it to you. He says, I did not have my mother long, but she, has, she cast over me an influence that has lasted all my life. The good effects of her early training, I can never lose. If it had not been, because he was a little scattered, Thomas Edison, he invented about a thousand things, but if it had not been for her appreciation and her faith in me at a critical time in my experience, I should never have become an inventor. I was always a careless boy. Teens, there's hope for us. And with a mother of different mental caliber, I should have turned out badly. But her firmness, her goodness, were potent powers to keep me in the right path. My mother was the making of me. I'm going to read that again. My mother was the making of me. And the memory of her will always be a blessing. Thomas Edison. We're going to look at four different moms here quickly. Starting in Matthew 14. Four different moms. We're studying, if you're visiting, we're studying out Jesus all year long. You say, well, so normally you don't study out Jesus? No, no, we do. But we're specifically focusing all 52 sermons this year on Jesus. And in the singles, we're focusing all of our midweeks on Jesus from different angles. And so the study today is out of the book of Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And it's some interesting interactions here about moms. And what I hope for you to learn, this is not a sermon for the moms, this is a sermon for everybody, about how these moms interacted and what we can learn from it. Because mom's got some power. Right? Mom's got some influence. And so if mom's asking for something, it might be important. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 3. You know, there was a man here, John the Baptist, he was Jesus' cousin. He was born about six months earlier. He came to set the way for Jesus. He was a wild man. And we got some wild men in the church. Men that will stand up against sin and say, that is wrong. Not be self-righteous, but men of courage. Men of conviction. If we look at our society, wrong is becoming more right, if you know what I'm talking about. And we've got to stand up in the church like John the Baptist 
and not be judgmental and not look down the nose of our glasses at people, but we've got to stand up with courage and say, this is what God says. John the Baptist stood up and was preaching against the ruler of his day. And what happened was, King Herod was visiting his half-brother, King Philip, and he liked his wife. And he took her. Had an affair with her. She moved out and moved in with King Herod. John the Baptist preached to him that this is morally wrong. You shouldn't have your brother's wife. And he got the passage out of Leviticus. In two places in Leviticus, it says, Do not take your brother's wife. Amen, brothers? And so his soon-to-be wife, Herodias, came in now as a single mom, wasn't divorced yet. King Herod wasn't divorced yet. Has a, a daughter named Salome. Herodias is about 14, 40 years old. And we pick up the story in verse 3. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John. But he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by who? She said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. I like listening to the audio Bible. I do read it as well, but I like listening to it. And it, the story, he, the, the, when they're acting it out, John's all talking like this because he's drunk from this party. So there's a little sub-story in there. Whenever you get drunk... You say things and do things out of emotion that you later are trapped. That was a free public service announcement. <laughs> and some of us have per personally witnessed it firsthand. So John was drunk and he says, I'll give you anything you want. I'm my... He didn't even realize what he was saying. And his... Herod, sorry, thank you. John wasn't drunk. Herod was drunk and... Herodias was so crafty, so manipulative. She said, this is my time. And she goes, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And he just turns ashen. Because he knew John was a holy man. And he thought, I'll just silence him, but I'm not going to kill him. He ordered her request be granted. Because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered her request be, to be granted. And had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. Can you imagine this? Here, Mom. John's disciples came back and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. What can we draw from this manipulative mom? What can we learn from this mother's request? Manipulation is wrong. Manipulation is wrong. Husbands, don't manipulate your wives to get your way. It will always come back to bite you. Wives, don't manipulate your husband to get your way financially or with this or that or with the kids or with something you really want. Or Let him lead your household. Let him do an average job versus a no job at all because you're always nagging and manipulating. 
Some of the women are like, are you talking to me? I'm just saying it might have happened in some of our households. It is in our nature to manipulate. Kids, don't manipulate your parents. It will come back to bite you. You say, why do you keep saying that? Because Proverbs 26, 27, you can write it down. I'm not going to show it. It's easy to memorize. 26, 27. It says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And if someone rolls a stone, meaning something that's not meant to be moved, it will roll back on them. So when you get in there and push your way, you're like, I got it. Yes, yes. And then you let go of the stone. And you get flattened out by the stone. Manipulation is wrong. And we manipulate to get our way when we want something and we don't want to take the right way towards it. Guys, don't manipulate women. That's how the world is. We manipulate when we want something that we shouldn't be getting or taking. Or we manipulate to avoid taking responsibility for something. So we take this shortcut. Herodias, it says in Mark 6, was nursing a grudge towards John for John telling her something was wrong. It says in Mark 6 that Herodias was looking for an opportunity to kill John. To silence him. Because she didn't want to hear it. And if somebody comes to you to tell you something, don't manipulate with tears. Don't manipulate with anger. Don't manipulate with what? What? Playing dumb or dead? Don't manipulate with being defensive and saying, man, you're just so negative, man. Can you tell me something I want to hear? You think about it. The people you're the closest to are the ones that have told you the truth. At some of the most pivotal, pivotal times. We can't have a steady diet of that. That's, that is negative. But a steady diet of never hearing the truth? The Bible says in Proverbs, that's not a friend. Don't manipulate. Take responsibility for sin. When you manipulate, you get bitter. You know, I read about Jacob in the Bible, and I can relate with Jacob so much. Because it's in my character to be deceitful and manipulative. You're like, great, that's my minister. I'm just saying, when I grew up, I look at all the things that I lied to my parents about, told them what they wanted to hear, I played off my dad this way, my mom that way, came around this side, that side. I mean, I should have been a magician. You know, because it's all illusions. I mean, I was like casting the illusions. And I thought I was so smooth. But you know who? The stone rolled back over me. The pit I dug, I always fell into. I still have scars from those lies and from that manipulation. And when I read about Jacob, and I look at what happened to Jacob and what he did to his brother, and then I look at what his uncle did to him, the measure you use, I go, wow, I can relate with that dude. Praise God for the kingdom. Praise God for discipling. Praise God for baptism. Praise God for the blood of Christ. God's made me a different person. My best friend in high school, Mike Westenfeld, his dad liked me. And he'd go, <laughs> Marco, you're going to either end up in jail or make a million dollars. Now, I don't know if either was a compliment, 
But at the time, in my arrogance at 17, I'm like, thank you, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to tell you why, but anyway. Let's not manipulate. Siblings, older siblings, your example matters. The little kids are watching. The younger sisters and brothers are watching. That's for all of our families. Don't manipulate. Take the hard road. You know, I'm thankful for one of the moms I just am thankful for that's so sacrificial is Connie Acevedo. I've known Connie for the last 13 plus years. I've watched her move her family twice. And I'm sure it's been more than that. I've watched her adopt. I've watched them go into the Spanish ministry for over a decade. I've watched them just recently now and establish in life, move to a whole other part of town to be shepherds. What a great mom she is. Super sacrificial. Super kingdom-minded. So grateful for Connie. Such a soft heart. Look at Matthew chapter 20. Here you see an involved mom. Today we'd call it, the Greek translation, helicopter parent. You say, why did you say involved mom versus controlling mom? Because I had that in there first. Because that just sounds too negative. But we need to be involved, but not too involved. And you see this woman here, a great woman. She raised two great men of God, James and John. Wouldn't you say that sons of thunder made some thunder in their life? Made some impact with their life? But it says here in Matthew 20, verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked the favor of him. I kind of wonder if she was holding their hands. That was a joke. But I mean, can you imagine them walking up? I mean, what was the look on James and John's face? Who initiated that? Whose idea was it? Did James and John put mom up to it? Or did mom look at the situation to go, alright, my boys aren't going to get recognized. They're going to be the 13th tribe sitting there and there's only 12. Okay, i gotta, I got to get involved. I, I don't know. I just know that somehow there was this collusion where there's a mom with two grown sons going to Jesus having a secret meeting. And she just wanted to get involved to help things on out. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons kneeling down and asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, can you imagine? So she's kneeling down right now. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Could you see the look on Jesus' face right there? Are you kidding me? Seriously, Mom? Come on! And maybe, the, maybe Mom put the guys up to it and the guys are like just turning beet red. I don't know. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. And right now he's talking not to mom, he's talking to the two boys. And he's looking them right in the eye. And he says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Now here's a whole sermon on overconfidence that will be for another time. We can. How many times did we think we were stronger spiritually than we really are? We, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and left it is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. 
Jesus called them together. He had a family meeting. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for holiness. You know, I look at this passage, ransom for many, excuse me. I look at this passage, and there's a lot of lessons here. Parents, there's a proverb that I've committed to sin as well. It says, if you rescue, I'm paraphrasing, a fool in his folly, an angry person, if you rescue him versus letting life's lumps take their course, you'll have to do it, what? Again. And? And? You're taking their lumps versus letting them learn their lesson. You say, but I don't want him to get hurt if Johnny doesn't have his lunch. Well, the rumblies in his tummies, tumbly or whatever Pooh Bear says, he'll learn. He'll learn some skills to switch a sandwich with somebody. Hey, can I get half of that? And he'll also <laughs> learn to eat food he doesn't like. And he'll also learn to remember to take his lunch when he goes to work as a grown man. But I'm being funny, but bigger picture. Rescue. Get too involved. And you'll have to do it again. But the problem is it won't be a lunch this time. It's juvenile hall calling or... Do you understand what I'm saying? Or it's the next door neighbor saying something was stolen on my house. Or it's something bigger. It's so hard for us to not let our kids hurt. That was a freebie. But the road to godliness. What's Jesus saying here? It's kind of interesting. The mother of Zebedee, in fact, they don't even ever say what her name is. She's just known as the mother of Zebedee's sons. Just shows you that she was a powerful woman. That's all she knew. She was the mother of Zebedee's sons. You never get her name. But she's just sitting there listening to this sermon that was for them. She's hearing it too. What can we draw from this? From this involved mom? That the road to godliness is always a road of suffering and of service to God. And there's no shortcuts. It is in my flesh and your flesh to want Christianity to be easy, modern, sophisticated. Meaning, I want to be able to share my faith with my neighbor and them not make pass a judgment on me. I want to be able to share my faith with my co-workers and maybe even study the Bible with them and maybe they won't like it. And then later i got to work with them for years, but I just hope they'll still like me. They might. They might not. I want to do the right thing at school and hope that my friends don't talk behind my back. They'll talk behind your back whether you do the wrong thing. They'll talk behind your back whether you do the right thing. You choose. But the road to godliness, it's always a path of suffering, self-denial. There's no shortcuts. And these guys, good men, called by Jesus, had a great relationship with their mom, come to Jesus and say, hey, can you hook up my boys? They're really good guys. James, John, John, James, good guys. Can you help them out? All I'm asking, a little favor, can we get maybe just one seat at the, in the kingdom of God, maybe, maybe the right and the left? 
See, we've got to be reminded. And mom knew this. Zebedee's mom, being a mom, she knew that godliness and doing the right thing, it, it involves hardship. She knew that there was no shortcuts. She raised some good men. And we know that. But still, there's a part of us that wants to take a shortcut. That we want the glory, but we don't want what's in between. All of us have eaten things and especially drank things that made our face change. Oh, man, this is nasty. Especially medicines. Oh, come on. Sometimes that's following Jesus. And I'm, I'm afraid that some of us, it's been so long since we've taken a teaspoon of that. I'll never forget, I was a, I was a minister in the church in Tucson back in the 90s, late 90s. And a minister in another church came to me and he, or he, he said uh, to someone else who referred to me, he says, you guys are too intense. Talking about discipleship, self-denial, Christianity. He said, we t- no joke, no preacher exaggeration. We take more the Mary Poppins approach. Everything with what? Spoonful of sugar. And I'm not saying we should just give it to people. But here you go, take it. Isn't that good? Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. Isn't it sweet smile? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I don't think... When I think of characters throughout the ages, I don't think of Jesus and then Mary Poppins. And I'm all for Mary Poppins, but I just don't put them... Okay, I think you get the point. What else do we learn from this lesson? You've got to let God lift you up. If you're always forcing your will, trying to get your way, trying to take that shortcut again, Lift yourself up. And there's a part of me that likes the seat next to Jesus by association. I'm a Christian. Long time now. Card-carrying member. Got a lot of credits in my... I do the right thing. I'm a Christian. Versus, hey, I do the right thing and sometimes you get lifted up, sometimes you don't. Who cares? It's not what it's about. It's about pleasing God all the time. It's about pleasing God... And, and doing things that nobody sees. The stuff in secret that God rewards. The little cup of water. The, the, the mindset of, I live to please Jesus. Versus, I want the right seat. I'm so thankful for our new slogan, 1224, Serve the Poor. That every Christian, say, you're talking about that again? I am. Because when you serve the poor, it changes you. Something about you goes, I didn't really want to be here, but now that I'm here, I really like it. There's a reason God speaks so much about the poor. And I'm so thankful for the hundreds of you that have already been doing that this year, every month, giving two hours of our time. What the whole concept was, everybody wants to serve the poor, but it's kind of hard to do it. Like, where do I go? And when is it set up? And is it going to fit my schedule? And how am I going to do it? And when am I going to do it? And I found I was just doing it once a year. Martin Luther King Day. Day on Hope. I wanted to do it more. I could never get past the land of good intentions. So now, all across the region, we have champions for the poor, volunteers that have organized with other champions for the poor, programs where almost every Saturday in your community, something's going on, so once a month you can go give two hours back to God. You say, I thought it was for the poor, not God. When you help the poor, you're loving God. 
And so the concept, the vision was, God gives us 365 days to breathe. We can give him one of those days, 12 times 2 is 24, one day back to him to say, God, this is me, just no ropes attached, no strings, I just want to serve the poor, I want to give. But I'm so thankful for those that have already done that. You know, I'm excited we're having our missions contribution in two weeks. We get to make a statement of service that day to say, I care about people around the world's salvation. And I'm so thankful for those that have been so generous year after year and are planning on it this year. You know, in July and August, we have two international community service brigades. One to Honduras, that's more of a youth and family one, and one to Guatemala, that's more of a singles one. Talk to me if you're interested. It's going to be an incredible time. Matthew chapter 12. You know, I wanted to share about a few moms as well that inspire me. I appreciate Amani Bashar over here. She didn't know I was going to talk about her. Manny's been such a great influence in Ange- with Angela, who works with our singles, who's a full-time intern. And uh, Angela's we're working on seeing Angela appointed a woman's ministry leader this year. First singles ministry leader in a long time. But I appreciate Amani getting involved in different studies. She's a mom. She's been a missionary. She's married to Mo. But I appreciate her. I appreciate the women she's helped. I appreciate how she's helped Angela. And I appreciate the great mom she is. Another two moms that I think about in the campus ministry work full-time jobs and serve incredibly is uh, Amy Kettering and Lorelai Newman, who um, are just great moms to their own kids, but also serve outside of their job, serve day in, day out, weekends, getting with student after student after student and being a mom to them. And I just want to say thank you, and you guys are doing a great job. Really, really grateful. Matthew 12, this is a very short one, three verses. This is a worried mom. This is Jesus' mom. And if you read uh, in, in Mark and in this passage a little earlier, Jesus was teaching and there were so many people there that he couldn't even eat. And mom thought, this is getting out of hand. And she got worried. And so it says she went to take charge of Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus is over 30 years old now, and mom's coming to take charge. She brought some of the siblings as a posse. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, there were so many people, Jesus' mom and brothers couldn't even make it in the house. So they're outside doing that chain game. Hey, tell Jesus' mom's outside. Can you see, and if you know guys are sense of humor, mom, (laughs) snicker, snicker. Hey, Jesus, Mommy's here. You know, I mean, just, that's just how guys are, you know. Um, Jesus, excuse me, there's a visitor out there. <laughs> it's your mom. You know, we, so Jesus is, he's in there, he's teaching. He's talking to the crowd. His mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak. Someone told him, <clears throat> your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Could you imagine the crowd that day? Huh? That was his mom! What do we learn here? It's in our nature to worry. It's in a mom's nature to worry even more. You say, why? It's in the DNA, just the mother hen to protect and to get involved. And there's a right part of the concern and the being in tune with. But then there's in our nature, not just in moms, in all of us, to worry. 
let me say something here. Worry is a dangerous, what I would call, sin of the beginning. It leads us to really bad places. You said, worry? Everybody gets worried. You're right. But the Bible has a lot to say about what worry can lead to. And so initially it seems like a very sanitized thing, a very my everybody worries. But worry takes you to bad places. Many people never become Christians because they're too worried. Things aren't going to work out for them unless they do it their own way. Many people don't stay Christians because they're worried. A lot of people that are studying the Bible, which might be some of you, are afraid, if I really do this, what's going to happen to me? And so you try to take charge again. Let me tell you what happens. I remember studying the Bible. I knew it was right. I wanted to become a Christian. Then the other part of me went, but it wouldn't be very fun. And I'm having a lot of fun right now. And I remember having to make that decision. I like the people that are helping me. I see their lives. I want that, but I like being in control. And I like the fun that I'm having. How about I do both? Does that work? No. I have to make a jump of faith that God would meet my needs and fill me up from a standpoint of fulfillment, enjoyment, if I would just obey Him and not worry about, but if I let go of this, what's going to happen to my life? And I was afraid that I'd be sitting there. Well, all my friends were out playing in the rain and I was just sitting inside being a Christian. Do you know what I mean? This kind of fear about obeying God. What do we learn here? Worry makes us try to take control and not trust and obey God. Matthew 6, the whole passage talks about don't worry. God sees your needs. He takes care of flowers. He takes care of birds. You're more valuable. He'll take care of you. Don't worry. Seek God first. His kingdom and His priorities first. His righteousness first. And what does it say after that? All these things will be given to you as well. You know, I'm so thankful that Jesus stood up to even his own mom. You say, why? Because his mom was there at the foot of the cross. She was probably a little insulted and hurt that day. But Jesus made a statement that's impacting us today. That my priorities, first and foremost, are to God. And when I'm obeying God, that's actually when I feel the closest to people. There's people that are obeying God. We can panic and try to take things into our own hands. Or make excuses not to walk the walk of faith because we're worried about what's going to happen to our kid if we keep him out at midweek. Could you imagine telling your club soccer team, I'm sorry, my daughter's not going to be there. She has homework. You say, I wouldn't do that. That cost a fortune. I wouldn't do that. I've wanted her in this so bad. Telling them this or that person, yeah, I'm not going to be there because my daughter might have to stay up late. My son might... Get a cold. We don't do that. Because it's not about God. It's about things we can see. Things that build a semi-security for the moment. But we've got to have that same conviction. Not be reckless. Not not be careful. But have the same conviction. That I put God first and I impress it on my kids. From day one. You know, one of the things, we went through these financial self-checkups in the church, talking about how's it going with my financial giving. You know what was so encouraging to me? So many people responded amazing, and so many people repented. And I just want to commend you for that. 
The other thing that was encouraging was a lot of people said, I haven't been giving, not because they were bad-hearted, because they were worried. If I give, then maybe everything else isn't going to work out. Let me tell you, when you put God first, it's amazing how things come together, how things work out. And I'm so proud of those that said, you know what? I'm not going to give into worry anymore. I'm going to start giving first to the Lord, like the Bible says, and I trust He'll take care of me. You're going to be blown away what God does in your life. Finally, let's just close here in Matthew 15, this passage here, one we're very familiar with. This is a woman that wasn't even a Jew. And it says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew, Matthew 15, 21, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter's demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Mom, could you imagine how you'd feel right now? Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. What do we learn from this woman. Here she was a Jew, looked down on by, or a Gentile looked down on by the Jews, and yet she was determined, I'm going to get help for my kid. How are your prayers to God? Too often when God doesn't answer me, He doesn't say a word, I give up, I forget, I get discouraged, then it turns into resentment, then it turns into bitterness. And then I start blaming God. God, what about me? I don't know, you're a faithful servant. Haven't you seen? I mean, obviously you've noticed all the good that I've been doing for many years. How come you're not? And I can go, rather than keep praying faithfully, I can start getting inward and complaining. Not praying to God, but complaining and feeling hurt by God. I appreciate this woman's persistence. What do we learn from this mom? We've got to fight for our faith. What does Paul tell Timothy? Fight what? The good fight of faith. Hey, everybody's going to have fights in their life. In-laws, finances, boss, neighbor. Should I keep going? Why not fight the good fight of faith? And for many of us, we're on our second decade, third decade, fourth decade. Keep fighting the good fight. It isn't easy. It's full of obstacles. There's many reasons why we shouldn't fight for our faith. But I appreciate this woman, how she kept crying out, pushing past the obstacles of she didn't belong there. She didn't get a word answered. She was ignored. The apostles tried to shoo her away. And her daughter was making a ruckus. Look at how Jesus lifted up this nameless mother. All she's known as is the Canaanite woman. Woman, you have great faith. I mean, I don't know about you, but if there's anything Jesus could say to me, I wouldn't want him to say woman, but... But I'd like, man, man, you have great faith. We all want that. But we gotta do something to warrant that. We gotta fight for our faith. It isn't easy. Let's go into the next round and keep fighting for our faith. I appreciate Kim Hammond. Kim's a very dear friend of our family for many years. 
Kim has had challenge after challenge after challenge with her own health, with her husband's health, and her family. And she is a fighter. I got to visit her just recently after her surgery. And she's in good spirits. She's giving to me. She's, Kim's just no nonsense. She's just like putting the gloves back on. Let's do it. Let's go. And I know that's not how she always feels, but she inspires me as a woman that has great faith. Another dear friend of ours is the Bransons. Mark, uh, Timmy Branson and Miles serve as in the singles. And they've got grown children. They've got grown children and they don't have anybody in the singles and yet they're serving in the singles. And Timmy, Timmy, uh, you know, T, Timmy, tough. She's tough. She's just in there just helping so many people. Such a fighter, such an excellent mom and such a great woman of God, woman of great faith. Let's just close right here with what we can learn here. I like reading a lot. And one of my favorite part of books is epilogues. You say, what's an epilogue? An epilogue is what happened to the people after the story. I'm always so curious as I'm reading this really good book, well, what happened next? How did it turn out after the story was over? Herodias? You know it didn't turn out well for her. Think about the impact she made on her daughter, Salome. As she had her dance seductively. Then she had him go get John's. And I bet she had nightmares about the head on the platter, his, her daughter. She kept manipulating. Surprise, surprise. And what happened with Herodias was later Herod lost a huge battle. The Jews thought, hey, there you go. God's paying you back for killing John the Baptist. And Herodias kept manipulating her husband. Go to Rome and ask to be appointed another, a king again. Go to Rome, ask to be appointed a king. So guess what? He gave in to her, went to Rome. They said, we're done with you. And they sent him to exile in Spain. And that's where he died. You know, the next woman, what happened to her? The mother of Zebedee's sons. She was right there at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to make a speculation here. She was amongst the 120. The first group of believers. The next woman, we all know what happened to her. Mary, she came back from being a little slighted. But she too was at the foot of the cross. Never left her son's side. And she too, the Bible says, was numbered amongst the original believers. And this last woman, the Canaanite woman, we don't know what happened to her. But we know that her story made it in the Bible and that she was a woman of great faith. I hope these things inspire you. I hope they call you higher. Happy Mother's Day. Amen. That was a great job. Uh, Let's give Marco another hand here.